cherubim and seraphim. There's only one time the Bible mentions seraphim. Seraphs are, uh, is the uh, term for uh, the six-winged, we want to say angels, but uh, the, the Bible doesn't call them angels. Same way with cherubim. And they're cherubs, or uh, the 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 uh, Jewish, I won't say Jew, the Hebrew um, language, I am, is plural. So cherub is singular, cherubim is plural. It's like uh, whatever we call God, Elohim. And we're talking about really the Trinity because they're not three gods. It's one God and three. And so it's interesting uh, how that term is used in the Bible. But um, as we look at um, uh, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to just begin, and we're not going to be able to, it's a very, as we look at uh, cherubim, and then we'll uh, show you the one place where we see seraphim, um, theme, as you want to, whichever way you want to say it. But in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first mention of these cherubim. And or cherub, uh, you know, you remember when Adam was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and you see um, in chapter three, verse twenty, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord gave them tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us." Uh, wait a Here, God's talking to himself. Now, when I talk about to myself, I say, me, myself, and I. But one of us, you got the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit all together. Now, and that's another one of those problems. How do we define God? Uh, he's too big for us. And so we see to know, to do good evil. And it says, and now lest he put his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. That bothers me to no end. Adam. You could have still eaten of that tree of life and lived forever. You'd still be alive today. But you, I mean, how many days, how many years were you in the Garden of Eden and never even bothered to eat of the tree of life? The Lord said you could eat of that, but you can't eat of the other one. And you chose the wrong tree. Why? He'd still be alive today. That's why I say when I get to heaven, first thing I want to do is go to that tree of life. You know, now, of course, I, I won't see the Lord Jesus. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's one of my priorities. But... Um, but, of course, I have eternal life, whether I eat of that tree or not. But he says, Therefore the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he had taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim on the east side of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, there are several things there. Uh, we talk, call this the law of first mention. That is, whenever God first mentions something in Scripture, then it pretty well takes that pattern through the rest of Scripture. And so we see that, um, that he calls them cherubim, so there's more than one. It wasn't just one cherub out there standing. Uh, and, they, and we'll see that it talks about that they, uh, they placed the cherubim east of a flaming sword and turned every way. We're going to see that again. Uh, we're going to see that this was a, these were a group of people that, a group of beings that, uh, that had, well, actually they were foresighted. Eh? If we, we'll see that in a moment. But um, they turned every way. 
a flaming sword, which uh, uh, and to guard the way to the tree of life. There's the next thing. They guarded something. And so they were the people that, um, <clears throat> that were shield or representative, uh, palace guard, whatever you call it, the people closest to the king. And so here they were as they guarded the, uh, uh, guarded the Garden of Eden. Now, that's another question I have. And we can't, this is one of the sidetracks, but uh, if, was the Garden of Eden there until the flood? We don't see it ever destroyed, and so, but no one could go into it, and we know that it went east of Eden. So uh, I'm wondering, you know, how many people all the way to, up to the flood knew of the Garden of Eden? And so again, that's uh, one of those good studies and conjectures of what the Lord did back before the flood. Now, we see then, um, if we, and we'll just look at Satan, who was a cherub. Turn over to Ezekiel, and we're going to be just, you want to keep your finger in Ezekiel, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time, because he speaks more of cherubs than anybody else. But um, in Ezekiel chapter 28, we know that the Lord is talking to, um, to Satan, and uh, let's see, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the next one, that's right. Lamentations, Ezekiel, okay. Chapter 28, and uh, we see that as he's addressing Satan, um, in verse, uh, let's see, 28, we see that um, in verse 11, he says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take a lamentation to the king of Tyre, and say to him, this, Thus saith the Lord. And the king of Tyre now, as we're going to see, that he's talking more than just uh, a king here on earth. He's talking about a person who controls the king of Tyre. Thou were the seal of perfection. No person's ever been that, but Satan was. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. That's obviously not the king of Tyre. Uh, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So he had all the stones that uh, we will see in heaven. The sardis, topaz, dope, diamond, onyx, uh, jasper. He goes through all these. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. And this is where, these are musical instruments. And this is where we get the idea that Satan was in charge of the music in heaven. And so, um, and was prepared, uh, they were prepared for you on the day you were created. There again, all living beings are created by the Lord. And so uh, we see that you were created. You were, anoint you were the anointed cherub who covers. Notice they cover. You guard. You guarded. Uh, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth through the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in the ways from the day you were created till iniquity, twisted thinking, was found in you. So we see that Satan was one of the palace guards or one of the, 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 the people around the Lord Jesus, around God on his throne. And so we see that. Uh, and then in Hebrews, now we go through and we'll see that these uh, cherubim, these angels, uh, are depicted in, we don't have time to go through 
the book, uh, the books of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, where the tabernacle was set up. But we know that uh, the cherubim, there were two, remember, and their wings covered the uh, altar. And so we see that, and that was a depiction in chapter nine of the book of Hebrews. He brings that out. Hebrews means Jews, and so he goes and he. He gives, excuse me, he gives us the, um, the uh, picture of what happened with those cherub, cherubim. And we see in verse uh, 5 of chapter 9 that he says, let's see, um, he talked about the golden censer in verse 4 and Aaron's rod that budded and all that that was in the tabernacle. But then in verse 5, and above it were the cherubim of, of cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail, and that neither can I. But the idea was that the cherubim represented the throne of God. And where do we see them? We'll see them again in the book of Revelation chapter 4 through 6, and, or chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And you'll see the cherubim, and we're going to see that they are very, uh, they are exactly like the description that Ezekiel is going to give them. And it's one of the most difficult of all the passages in Scripture to really understand because of the imagery um, of uh, chapter 1 of what the cherubim were and what they did. Uh, for the Lord and uh, what uh, the glory of the, uh, how that they uh, protected the, or they covered or they the glory of God or they were standing by the glory of God, and so we see that um, this is uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and you can see that. If and then you'll see also um, in First uh, Kings chapter six, verse twenty-three. You'll see that the cherubim, they, this was what uh, Solomon built for the temple, and he made them huge. And so, uh, again, and, but they had wings that covered the, the altar and so forth. Now, so we see that they were for covering. They were for, um, uh, for as, not assistance, but actually like a witness for the Lord. They, you know, whenever you go to a king or you go to, you look at the royal Highness of England, or whatever, or whatever his name is now. Uh, I mean, as far as his title, uh, you'll have all those guards along the side, and that's the idea of the cherubim. But of course, they, these had wings and so forth. So that gives us a little bit of idea of, of uh, their description. But then we turn back over to Ezekiel, and we see that uh, they in chapter one, we see one of the most interesting and intriguing and I have, and I've studied this several times, and I've tried to read uh, others that to know a whole lot more about uh, uh, Jewish history than I do, um, and Jewish, uh, uh, the prophetic books. Um, but uh, it is very difficult to understand exactly how these uh, cherubim worked. But um, in chapter 1, then we're going to try to go through just the book of Ezekiel and just show you some things. But in verse uh, 10, we see, well, let's go back. Uh, well, let's go back to verse 4. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind coming out of the north. That's the place of God, by the way. And 
Uh, you'll notice many times uh, the Lord is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. Of course, that's God's place. And uh, we've talked about that before as far as Santa Claus. Santa Claus comes from the north, and that's the reason we have to be very careful with all that. He says, A great cloud was raging, engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and radiating its mist and color of amber and all, and the mist of the fire. And also from within, it became the likeness of four living creatures. And so remember those creatures in Genesis were from all sides. Um, and there was, and this was their appearance, the likeness of a man. Each had four faces um, and each had four wings. So we see that uh, seraphim had six wings. Uh, Seraphim had four. So they had four wings. Their legs were straight. Their soles of their feet uh, were the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled with the color of burnished bronze. Their hands, um, the hands of a man were under their wings. And, um, and they had their four faces. He goes on in verse 9. Their wings touched one another. And that's what we see in the, mar- in the, uh, in the ark. Is the wings actually uh, met one another. But each one went straight forward. And from this likeness of the faces, each had a face of a man and, uh, and each had a, the face of a lion and the, on the right side and the, uh, the four had the face of an ox and the, uh, on the left side and each had the face of an eagle. And these were their faces. Now, you tell me, okay, here you have one cherub or you have cherubim and are we talking about, so we're talking about many cherubim, but each one of them had four faces. You want to describe that to me? You want to tell me what it looks like? You want to draw me a picture? Yeah, that's one of the hardest visions that we see. And yet, uh, you know, were they four people? Yeah, they, here these, these were, and, and then we look at uh, the symbolism here. And you go into the symbolism. First of all, we see that uh, there, um, that each had. Let's see, wait a minute. And each had, four had the face, and it had the face of. Let's see. Let's go. Wait a minute. Look back in verse ten. The likeness of their faces. Each had the face of a man. Now, we'll see that the Lord's going to put it in different order, but the face of a man. You think about the Gospel of Luke. He's the son of man. Then you take, they each had the face of a lion. Now, who was the lion of the tribe of Judah? Okay, so that was Matthew's book. He presented Jesus Christ as the king of Judah, as the anointed anointed king. And on the right, we had the four, you had a face of an ox. Now, an ox is a, a symbol of power, but of service. Also not the ox that treads out the grain. And in the book of Mark, the Lord Jesus is presented as a very powerful servant. Is he not? And so, and then we see, and in, uh, in then, then we see, where's the, where's the eagle? <laughs> Just, I missed the eagle. But, uh, oh, and each had, uh, four had the face of an eagle. Now, of course, an eagle soars, the majestic, the the mightiness, the, the, the king of the, you know, he's the king of, uh, of the firmament, whatever, you know. Uh, we'll mount up on wings as eagles. But who represents that? 
Jesus Christ in the book of John. So we see those uh, four uh, symbolisms, and this was, uh, you know, if these are angels, they're messengers. And so here we have the gospel wrapped up in these, in these cherubim. I don't totally understand that, but then we see, and none of, nobody does, and it's really difficult because it's a, uh, it's a dimension outside of us. How can you have four faces? I know some people have two faces. No, I'm sorry. But, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but, uh, but not four, you know. <laughs> Oh boy, I better watch that. <laughs> no, but um, so we see that um, that these have different perspectives that God has made that is just totally outside of our realm of understanding, and yet they were. God says, uh, "You don't have to understand it; just believe me." This is one of those things where just one day you'll understand. Um, and so we see that these are the cherubim. These are. They are not the, the things that we depict in the cartoons and in the, uh, in the art. Remember the art, whenever you see cherubs, they're little, fat little baby boys with wings on them and with little long hair with curls and all that. And that is not a cherub. That is not, you know, anything depicted in the Bible. These were, you know, they call them beasts or living beings, actually is the better term. I mean, but these were... Bad dudes, if you want to call it that. I mean, these were very powerful. The, you know, the essence of a man, the essence of a servant, the ox. You're strong as an ox, you know. We, that's the term, you know, the way that we even get from that. Um, the soaring of an eagle. That's our God. He transcends everything. And, uh, you know, so, but he's the son of man, the wisest of all, you know. And so you look at all those things. Uh, in the, of course, the land of the tribe of Judah. And he's the king. And so we see those things here all wrapped up in these cherubim that will surround the throne. And they cover the throne. And we'll see that in the book of Revelation. Now, in verse 28, we see that um, he says, and like, uh, and uh, they talk about again, um, well, let's go to 26. He says, and above the firmament, above their heads was the likeness of a throne and its appearance was like sapphire. And he goes through actually almost exactly the description that we have in the book of Revelation of the throne of God. And so here they are at the throne. Verse 28, uh, like the appearance of a rainbow. Remember the rainbow was in heaven too. The appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. Now, isn't it interesting how the rainbow has been so corrupted in our day? Because the devil always loves to take the things of God and desecrate them. And so the thing that the promises of God, one day I'm going to see a rainbow, folks, and it's going to be in heaven. That's going to be a fantastic place, isn't it? But uh, there again, I'm not looking for the rainbows that man makes around, you know, today, the flags and all that. He says, um, uh, this was the appearance and the likeness of notice the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So these this was the throne of God and it encompassed, it, it encompassed the cherubim. And so we see that this was the presence, the, the palace guard of the Lord. And of course he would send them out on different missions and so forth. Uh, that's one reason we think that uh, uh, Paul, when he was taken prisoner by the Roman guards there, 
that, that was a very special term that they used. Uh, these were the elite troops. These were the uh, troops that were closest to Caesar that took Paul in and gave him special treatment and took him to Rome. And, uh, and remember when he got to Rome, he was put under the house arrest. That's palace guard. I mean, he was right there uh, close to Caesar. Remember what later on he says, they of Caesar's household greet you. And here he was, you know, the most wicked, one of the most wicked men that ever lived, Nero, and yet he was winning people in Nero's house right to the Lord. And so this was the idea of the royalty of, that surrounds the throne of God. Uh, I, I would li- I've never seen a picture of a true cherubim. I cannot, I've never seen anybody try to, try to draw this. Have you? Has anybody ever tried? And maybe you can find something on the Internet. But it's so, so different that how do you, how do you, how would a person, for one thing, how can you get all four faces if it's four-sided? You'd have to have, it'd have to be three-dimensional. It'd have to be three-dimensional art. So this is something, so a cherub was uh, much, or a cherub beam were much different than our picture of, you know, oh, they're just four wings and they flew around heaven and little fat little boys, you know, and all this. No, that's not, that's not a cherub. So we see that these were a symbol of power, of wisdom, of majesty, and they were close to the king. Now, in doing that, we see, and this is one of the great studies because we know that the cherubim, what, what did, remember what the, in the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, let's go back and now keep your finger here, turn back with it, and I'll show you the one time in scripture that we see seraphim, and they are described as seraphim, and they are around the throne too. But turn back to the, one of the chapters that, in fact, I think we preached on it last week. Isaiah chapter 6. And this is the one time that they are mentioned. In chapter 6. In the, king that, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his, the, robe, uh, the robe filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim. Each one had how many wings? Six. How many did the cherubim have? Four. So there again, but notice every angel, if these are angels, are created. Everything outside of God is created. That is the reason we do not worship angels. Because they were created. That's the reason they could be so different than us. Because because on earth is the only place that God has created man to reproduce within himself. Well, I mean, you know, of course, of the idea of, of, uh, of biology. But there's no biological chemistry in heaven. Everything is created. That's why in heaven there won't be any marriage and giving in marriage. So that's... Uh, one of those just intriguing things, but, every, but notice how each one of them um, is described. But notice these, now it doesn't say these have four heads or four faces, I'm sorry. But it just says that they have six wings. And one, uh, one two, each one, there were two of them. And we show each one of them covered his face as a symbol of humility. Um, and uh, two of them covered his feet. And that's, uh, and then, uh, and, uh, and with two, did, they did fly. So mobility. And so we see, and they cried. What did they cry? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. And so again, 
we see that this is, uh, you know, hail to the king is basically what they're, what they're saying. And so we see that they surround the throne. And, of course, when you walk into uh, the, if, uh, the, king, the throne of the king of England, I mean, uh, you've got a whole entourage there. And, uh, of course, hail to the king or whatever. And so uh, this is uh, the picture. But, of course, it's much more majestic in heaven. And so uh, we see that. Now, in saying that, we know that the, that the where was the Lord? He was, uh, he was in the Holy of Holies. Uh, actually, uh, he was above the Holy of Holies because Isaiah was not a high priest. He was a priest, but he was not a high priest. So he saw the glory of God above the Holy of Holies, but he saw him sitting on a throne, which depicted what was down in the Holy of Holies. Now, let's just look and see what God did. And this is a picture of what the Lord did. Remember, he came in at, the, at uh, Sinai and he, he was present. I mean, the presence of the Lord filled uh, the tabernacle. And of course, then it filled the temple. But now we see that God is going to remove himself from that temple. And we call this, is there a problem? Okay, so, um, so, um, and so we see that, uh, that the presence of the Lord is going to be removed from that earthly temple. And then we're going to see in the book of Ezekiel that it returns one day. And so, and whenever it left, and this was the time later on in the book of Daniel that he called it, okay, Israel is no longer, you know, God's, this is the, the age of the what? Gentiles. So the presence of God left the temple. And we'll see that now as you begin in uh, chapter 8. I hope we can go through this. Uh, chapter 8. Um, and... Um, Let's see. Well, actually, we see in verse seven, verse two, uh, that he talks about uh, about how the, the cherub appeared like uh, uh, he had a, a fire. Fire is always a symbol of justice, judgment. Knows like the color of amber. amber um, and he's uh, in verse three. And he stretched out the form of a hand and took me by the lock of my hair. And the spirit lifted me up between the heaven and earth. Um, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem to, do, to the door of the north gate of the inner court. That was the door that w- went into the Holy of Holies. This is where, so remember the Lord is always on the side of the north. And so um, that's the reason the north won the Civil War. You know, but whatever, but no. We, but to me, you notice that he says, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, that, who provokes to jealousy. Um, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was there like a vision that I saw in the plain. Remember, he, back in, he'd seen the vision. Now he sees God there. Um, and he said, Son of man, lift up your eyes toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north. And there in the north of the, uh, the alder gate was the image of jealousy in the entrance. Now, what was the image of just uh, Ahaz and Oh, excuse me, uh, now Ahaz is gone. And so now we're getting into Manasseh. And, and later on, actually, we're, I'm sorry, we're even toward the end of Israel's existence. But what's an image of, they had put idols 
in the temple. And God was very upset. The image of jealousy. I mean, God is, my name is jealous. Don't you dare. I mean, it's one thing to have an idol. It's another thing to put it in the temple. I mean, right next to the Holy of Holies. And so he said, here they got it right next to the, to the door of the Holy of Holies. I mean, how much more you know, bold can you get? But then um, we see that uh, there was, they were, but we see now that the glory of the Lord was on the inner gate. It was in going into the tabernacle or into the Holy of Holies. That's where Isaiah, that's where Ezekiel saw it. Now turn with me over to chapter 9, verse 3. And we see, now the glory of God had gone up uh, from the cherub where he had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called out the man clothed the linen and he goes to the acorn in his hand. And so here you have a, a heavenly scribe as he, sit, right, he says, go through the midst of the city through the, and put a mark on the foreheads of all those who, I mean, I'm ready to destroy these people who worship this. I mean, put a mark on them. It's kind of interesting. Uh, what does the Lord allow to happen in the, in the tribulation? You defy God, we'll let you have a mark. So here, put a mark on them. They're going to—they're marked for destruction. But notice they, now he is at the threshold of the temple, so he's—he's um, he's leaving uh, just the door. But uh, notice now, chapter ten, verse four. Well, let's go back to verse three. So now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple, not the north, when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused at the threshold of the temple and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of God's glory. So now he moves out of the Holy of Holies into that outer court of meeting. So he's slowly leaving the temple. Then in verse chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, um, we see again, um, let's see, well, let's go back to verse 14. He says, each had four faces and the face of the cherub, the second face of a man. He goes through this again. Verse 16, when the cherub, when the wheels went beside him, and that again is that vision of chapter one. There's a, something about those wheels again that we don't understand. And he says, and when the cherubim lifted their wings to mount from the earth, the same wheels also did not turn from beside them. Um, he says, and when the cherub stood still, the, cher the wheel stood still, and when one lifted up the other, and it lifted itself, and the spirit of the Lord, the living creature, was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up the wings by night, and they went, uh, their wheels or whatever it was, and they stood at the door of the east gate. Now here they are at the east gate. This was the procession that would go from the Mount of Olives. Remember the Lord Jesus went from the Mount of Olives to the east gate into the temple. That was the main drag right to the temple. And so that eastern gate and the glory of the uh, God was above them. So now they have moved to the east gate. So now they're no longer at the, at the threshold of the Holy of Holies or the door of the Holy of Holies. But now they've moved all the way to the east gate. They're outside of Jerusalem. But then in chapter 11, verses 23 and 25, 
Well, 22 again. So the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. So now he has totally left the presence of Jerusalem, the holy city. This is uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11 of the book of Ezekiel. Or did I not make that? Okay. So, so uh, here we, uh, so chapter 11, verse, uh, so here we see that he has moved. What is the mountain on the east side of uh, Jerusalem? If Dominic was here, he could tell us. What is the mountain? The Mount of Olives. So he's moved to there. And of course, then he's going to, he leaves totally Jerusalem. And he will, and he makes his wings to the, um, and he and they and they depart. Um, let's see. And so then, verse verse twenty four. Then the spirit of chapter eleven. Then the spirit took me up and brought me in the vision of scripture to the uh, uh, the spirit of God into Chaldea to those in captivity. And the vision I had went up uh, from me. So I spoke to those in captivity of all the things which the Lord had shown me. Folks, God has left Jerusalem. He's no longer in the Holy of Holies. He's gone. And he hasn't returned. But think about it. That's the reason we don't call, I mean, you technically we call it, the well, uh, colloquially, we call it the triumphal entry. Remember the Lord Jesus, they... You know, he went from the Mount of Olives and he went into the East Gate and he went to the temple. And what's the first thing he did when he got to the temple? Cleansed it. Remember? Got rid of all the tables and everything else. And so, but that really was just a picture of the true triumphal entry. Because what happened to him? He was rejected. And of course, that's when we see even in the book of Acts where the Lord said, no longer will I try to reach Israel. I will go to the Gentiles. And we're in the age of the Gentiles starting back in Daniel. Israel has never had another king, earthly king, except the king they rejected. And that's the Lord. So turn with me over to the book of um, or to Ezekiel in chapter 43. Now he goes through all these things that are going to happen. But in chapter 40 through 48, he talks about that millennial temple. And the whole last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel talks about the millennium, that thousand-year reign of Christ. And we know that he, he talks about the Valley of Dry Bones and all the things, Armageddon, all those things, uh, in chapters 37 through 39. But uh, excuse me, in chapter 43, verse 1, and after he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east, the eastern gate, and behold, the glory of the of God of Israel came from the way of the east. Where was he? You remember whenever he came, what happens when the Lord Jesus comes again? Uh, now, at the rapture, we're going to meet him in the air. But when he comes at the Battle of Armageddon, Armageddon, where is he going to plant his feet? On Mount Zion. 
right? Okay, if you don't, if you if you don't know a whole lot, if you haven't been with us, but you don't, some of these things might not be familiar. Familiar. A lot of people now that I'm dealing with don't even, they, you know, I love dealing with uh, with uh, brand new Christians or people that I'm discipling because oh, is that in the New Testament or Old Testament? You know, so it's one of those things where you, it's from scratch. So I had to realize that. But uh, just bear with us if you don't. Maybe you can pick it up and fill in the spaces later. But he says. Uh, and they brought me out of the outer court by the way toward the north and brought me into the chamber which was opposite the separating of the courtyard and which was opposite the building toward the north. So he's talking about moving in back into the temple, facing the length, 100 cubits, and he talks about the temple. And opposite the inner court, verse 3, of um, 20 cubits, opposite the pavement, he goes through description of the gallery and so forth. Um, then uh, in verse 4, and in front of the chambers toward the side uh, was the wall 10 cubits and distance one cubit. Now, in verse 5, now the upper chambers were shorter than the lower chambers. I'm getting, I'm sorry, chapter 43. I'm, I'm in chapter 42. Uh, I looked down and looked up. Okay, I'm going, wait a minute. I mean, that's all the description of the temple. Okay, now chapter 43. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was the sound of many waters. Remember what that, the sound of many waters is an overpowering roar. So whenever God, I mean, his presence is... uh, Bigger than any boombox you've ever heard. But his, uh, and his face was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision I saw when I came, uh, when I came to destroy the city, back in chapter 8 through 10. So uh, he came and he says, uh, this is like the vision. So here we have the cherubim with him. Um, the visions which were like the, uh, which I saw by the river Chaber, and I fell on my face, and the glory of God came into the temple by the way of the gate, which faced toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord, what? Fill the temple again. So this is the age, the millennial age. So yes, the Lord has left the temple. It is not even built now. There are no kings except the king of glory. But he will come at the battle of Armageddon, and who will be with him? If you're saved, you'll be with him, right? He's going to plant his feet on Mount of Olives. That's the really, that's technically the second coming. We like to say the second coming, but we're thinking of the rapture. Where are we going to meet the Lord if the Lord comes today? In the air. So, Oh, I'm so worried about World War III. I keep hearing this. Armageddon's going to... I'm not worried at all about Armageddon because it's seven years removed from anything I'm going to ever know. Right? And so uh, I'm not worried about Armageddon. I'm not even worried about World War III. If the Lord decides to destroy this country, then I say, Lord, please make it quick. You know, (laughs) get us out of here. Uh, I hate to see what's happening in our country today and just how slowly we're committing suicide. Uh, just our whole institutions, everything. We're just falling apart. People are hating each other. There's no joy. There's anger. 
Uh, just sad. No pride in our, there's the wrong kind of pride. It's a, a perverted pride. And so just how sad that we have in this country. But uh, guess what? The Lord's going to come. And he's coming for me one day. And, uh, but if, uh, if he takes me, if uh, World War III happens and uh, we get wiped out pretty fast, guess what? Absent from the body, present with the Lord anyway, right? And then I'll come back again with him. And that's going to be fun. I'm going to be part of that entourage. That's going to be fun to look into that uh, Holy of Holies. I mean, look, at, now he is the Holy of Holies. Well, I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. So I will see my king in his beauty. Now, this is the millennial reign, but let's turn over and look one more time at the cherubim. And that is in the heavenly reign. And that is over in chapter, uh, chapter. let's see, make sure I get it, chapter 4. And of course, it's, it's a picture of the vision that John saw in the book of Revelation before all the things are going to happen on earth. But we see those, these uh, very, very mysterious creatures again. In chapter 4, we look at uh, verses 6 through 8. Um, and he says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes, that's the idea of all seeing, front and back. And first living creature was the face of a lion. The second was the face, creature of face of a calf. Now, is that what it is in the original King James? Okay, calf. What, an ox? Okay. Okay, an ox. Okay, right. Okay, but it is calf here. And um, basically, why? Now, of course, a, a picture of a calf. Now, why would it be a picture of a calf? The Jesus, Jesus came as a child, did he not? But he was the Lamb of God. And so, of course, uh, but he was an ox. I mean, he was uh, strong. But uh, he's strong as an ox or stronger. So here we have the king of lion, um, Matthew. We have the second creature like an ox, servant, Mark. Uh, the third creature, the face of a man, the son of man, the perfect man, Luke. And the face of uh, an eagle, the glorious, transcending, wings of eagles, the book of John. The four living creatures, each had six wings, same thing as we saw in, um, in Ezekiel, full of eyes all around, and they did not rest day or night. They didn't need sleep. And notice what they said again. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's the idea. He's eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. And these cherubim who cover the throne of God, close to God, are there proclaiming his glory. Now, do you understand all that? If you do, you're a lot better at it than I am. I mean, it's far beyond my whole scope of imagination. I just, I, 
But, uh, you know, I know they're going to be beautiful. But if I saw them today, I might be scared to death, you know, <laughs> because, boy, when you have a face, when you have a four-faced individual with all that, that uh, in them, and yet they are glorify God. That's amazing. Okay, any questions? The one thing that you will notice, though, is a cherub is not little, a little fat boy flying around with two wings around the altar. They are very majestic, powerful individuals that move at the voice of God, and they have power uh, when God gives it to them over life and death. Okay, any, qu- any questions real quick? Like, Okay, then uh, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. We pray that uh, you will bless it to our ears and to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your sobering majesty. There's nothing that escapes your notice. And you created angels and you created cherubim over us that guard us in all of our ways. And yet we don't understand that because you're the all-powerful one. You don't even need them. But then again, Lord, you don't even need us. But you've chosen us to be your oracle, to glorify you to a lost and dying world. Oh, Lord, may your power flow through us and mothers, may others see the glory of God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.